welcome back to Off the Record. My name is Kyle Patel, and I'm the Northeast Zone, you know, and cyber leader for Marsh McLennan. And I've also had the privilege of leading the Rise Insurance Professionals DNI Committee over the past year. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here with you all today. Uh, a few housekeeping items before we get started. As always, a quick reminder to our listeners: the views and opinions shared today during the Off the Record podcast are those of the authors. They don't necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our employers and any content provider. Uh, or any content provided by our authors or bloggers or of their own opinion, and it's not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, anyone, or anything. So with that, we can get started today. So joining us today is Dr. Leroy Nunnery. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to dig in and your busy schedule as we address difficult conversations that creep up on the journey to equity and inclusion. Um, Dr. Lee Roy Nunnery, by background, is an accomplished executive and multi-generational entrepreneur with a unique breadth of experiences in corporate banking, capital markets, education, professional sports, and family-owned electrical con contracting uh, firm, uh, Lee Roy Nunnery Sons and Inc. Um, we're joined today um, with the principal and founder of Plus Ultra, which is also a management consulting company started in 2007 that specializes in strategic, managerial, and operational capacities of entities in the K through 18 educational spectrum. Dr. Nunnery also focuses much of his work with large companies on helping them improve and understand the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is exactly why we invited you to have this coffee chat with us today. So today's conversation is really gonna focus on how we get caught in difficult conversations in our day-to-day -day lives and making sure that not only do we you know, react to those appropriately, but we also offer the best response that also educates the individual that's making those comments on the other side of the spectrum. And so we want this to be conversational um, and want you to chime in with any comments or questions that you have as we go through the scenarios. We've provided a list of scenarios today that we gathered through our DNI committee that we thought were the most common or the, the most difficult ones that we obviously wanted your opinion on. So um, I can, I'm happy to go through the scenarios. I know you have a list in front of you as well. So however, however you'd like to do this, um, we're open. All right. Well, well, first, it's good to be with you all and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to to have the conversation, you know, it's it's very interesting just the whole idea of a difficult conversation because it probably happened with each and every one of us every day, right? Um, maybe at home, maybe with kids, coworkers, um, in the grocery store. There's always some moment where there's friction, and what makes it difficult isn't even the content; it's the relationship between the individuals. And so when it gets to the issue of diversity, equity, inclusion, some of the hardest stuff in the world because it's based on issues of racism, sexism, whatever the ism is, um, we call it difficult, right? And, you know, I guess I've always wondered why. Um, if people were being honest with each other and truly digging in uh, and wanting to learn, the difficulty would diminish dramatically. Um, that's been my background. It's what I've tried to do. Doesn't mean I don't have difficult conversations, but I also try very hard to understand where the other person's coming from so that the difficulty level will, will dissipate and hopefully disappear. So um, I'll just kind of start there with a, a hope and a belief that we can do something more than um, just study the issue. Let's try to do something about it. 
Perfect. Thanks. And then I think that makes a lot of sense and probably something that we can emulate as we go through the scenarios today. So, um, but it's a good thing to keep in the back of our minds to, to kind of think about where the other individual is coming from so that we kind of dissipate our anger and then act in a, in a place of solace when we provide any sort of commentary or response. Right. Right. Um, the first question that we had here, which I think all of us have probably encountered one way or the other is just a general question by colleagues asking where you're from. And I think the majority of listeners have probably been asked this question and then provide a response and then get feedback saying, no, where are you really from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, depending on what you look like, or at least what you appear to be like uh, on the surface, I wouldn't say that question is totally illegitimate, but it's fascinating how often that is used as a lever to understand if you have, when it's asked of you, if you have similar beliefs that I do, right? Because if they just think of what's going on right now with the Olympics, how many of those individuals, um, uh, there's a, a sprinter, Kamunji, right? Who's from Switzerland. When you look at her, that could be the sister Rachel from uh, North Jersey. I want you to go take, take, take a look at her. Um, we're so obsessed with the obvious, with the, the superficial, that when we ask where you're from, it may seem to be innocent, but what it's trying to do is legitimize you. My response to that, because I've been asked any number of times, tell them I'm from Jersey, <laughs> North Jersey, as a matter of fact. And I also try to make sure they understand what my background is for a long time especially in the corporate world, the corporate life, I would, I wouldn't say shy away from it, but I wouldn't talk as much about it. Now I own it, I claim it. My folks are from Virginia and my father particularly born in a little town with maybe 400 people in it. And when they talk about recycling and all of that, I'm like, look, they ate every part of that pig. And, you know, it's said, I try to say it in a way that is um, not joking, because it's real, it's true, but I also try to disarm people so that they don't have to try to figure it out. But I'm, you know, even at this point in my life, I'm asked, where did I go to school? And when did I graduate? Or the golf club I belong to? Well, how long have you been a member? Like, you know, why does that matter? But, you know, I realize that that's kind of table stakes for some of these conversations. Do you ever respond and and tell the person like, why are you asking me that? Or oh, yeah. why, to your point, yeah. why does that matter? The, depending on the level of irritation I have that day, yeah. I mean, it, because it, like with the golf club, you know, well, how long have you been a member? I'm like, well, why does that matter to you? Um, am I not appropriately dressed? Is it that because I stand out? And then when they find out I've been a member for eight or nine years and they've only been there four years, it's like, oh, okay. So they try to switch the topic. Um, I think that the, 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 the thread or the through line for all of this is for many of us to not be so thin skinned that we can't take or anticipate something adverse in these difficult conversations. We kind of got to get over ourselves, but, but it is also unfair to put all the onus on us to assume that we have to, you know, always answer that. Well, like, who are you to ask me the question in the first place? 
I used to call it like slapping my resume on my forehead. Why don't you read this first and then come talk to me? But uh, you know, I've got to be, I've got to save my energy for the more important parts. And, and I think that's why that issue or some others, uh, I've tried not to, I may mutter something under my breath, but I try not to make it always rise to a level of, 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 of anger or, or disdain because that, it's unproductive. Fair enough. How about this scenario? A coworker approaches team members who appear to be laughing at a joke. And when the coworker asks what's funny, the group continues laughing. And one of them explains that everyone loves the NFL draft time because they're able to poke fun at the outrageous names of the athletes being drafted to the league. Yeah. Um, I used to work for the NBA. So, you know, you got, you know, you got a whole plethora of names. Look, when Shaquille O'Neal was drafted, Shaquille was thought to be, exotic and now look at how many other individuals are named Shaquille and by the way how many of them uh would love to be in his shoes uh you know uh being a billionaire or really close to it so what and, and look at it just to stick with that for a second look at the image he portrays he's a huge man and he's always got a smile on his face and he's always kind of let's say goofy but he's always joking around and yet when Papa John's had problems, they brought him on the board. He owns franchises. You see him on Epsom. I'm, I don't want to call out all the companies for fear of getting something wrong. You got to take advantage of your difference as opposed to always feeling like you're on the heel. So coworker says, what's so funny? Hey, you know what? That name seems different. Look, my name is Leroy. Do you know how much back in the day, the songs, Jim Croce, Hey Leroy, you know, your mama's calling. I mean, don't you think I went through that? It was, you had to get used to it, but I tried to always turn that into fuel for where I wanted to go. And instead of running away from it, I ran towards it. Yeah, that's my name and my father's name. And I named my son that same name. Again, I think, yeah, they're poking fun because people tend, some people tend to be ignorant. And I think the key is, what do we know about culture? What do we know about the, that naming? I laugh too when I see some of that. We should see some of the texts that go on between people. Um, but when are we laughing at that individual diminishing their capabilities because of that name? Because that name shows up on a resume, and we're like, well, with a name like Tredavious, we can't possibly recruit them. How would our customers feel? Um, I think it's important for the individual who feels adversely affected by that to raise the point. Well, why is that so funny? More so than John Jones or Jake Smith, because it's not anglicized. What do you know about? Um, you know, so I think at some point this is going to take some courage that a lot of people often lack or are afraid of a repercussion. I just I've just decided I can't be afraid of that anymore. Um, and I don't have to be. That's a good theme of today's discussion, actually having the courage to speak up. That's mm -hmm. half the battle. That's right. Um, what about, so some of our um, 
counterparts within the committee had, had posed a scenario, but what about when a person with a different color skin, or in this case, a white person says, I'm willing to talk about racism and all that stuff, but only if we talk about how there's also racism against everyone. You know what, that is such a cop out. And I know, I'm glad you put that scenario in there because in the work I've been doing over the last, particularly the last 18 months, um, as you survey company uh, employees, you know, most people will agree 85%. Here's a definition of diversity, of equity, inclusion, of belonging. You get a clumping, right? Kind of a normal distribution. But there are some who say, would you stop pushing this? I've heard this left-wing Marxist agenda. We're going to talk about racism. Well, there's there's been racism for year, years when the Irish came to the U.S. and you know, and, and this is true between Armenians and Serbians. I mean, it's always there. Yes, there it, that is the case. Um, but I think it's, again, another cop out for somebody to say, I'm only willing to do it if we can talk about it against a racism is a negative. Then great. If it is a negative, all I know right now about, all I want to talk about right now is racism, how it's affected me. If you want to do a full study, let's break it down. Let's bring everybody's into it. Um, but the biggest issue is the long lasting structural effects of racism in this country. People try to ignore it, but it's there. I've just put in a, a proposal to work with, I won't name the state, but a major health foundation where they're looking at disparities, uh, racial disparities in healthcare. African-Americans in this state are three and a half times more likely to have colorectal cancer, lung cancer, diabetes. Um, um, there were four or five other maladies. Um, same thing with Hispanic, uh, Hispanic Americans, Latinx and Native Americans. There's something wrong in the system. So when somebody wants to skip out and say, well, talk about racism with everybody, the facts say though, that certain groups of people are more adversely affected than others. And in insurance, it's been about redlining, credit risk rating uh, and premium pricing, um, the low rate of, of claims adjustment. I mean, you've seen the articles recently folks getting wiped out because of a tornado or fire and they can't get their claims heard or, I mean, uh, um, uh, adjusted uh, uh, properly. So I think the, res the, the nifty response to that is, okay, you wanna talk about everybody? I wanna start here. Then we can talk about every other group, but look at the effect of what it's done to groups of people. Let's pull out the data. Now I want to go memorize a bunch of data to make sure that I'm but, but, on point. But I think, I think, Payal, that that is really an essential part of this element. We want to get emotionally responsive, and that is important. But you also need to have an argument. You got to be able to punch back with something that is factual. Now, they may challenge your facts, but at least you have done your homework. Mm -hmm. I can't always react based on how I feel. I've also got to be 
we react based on what I know. And if this is true and you've got, go to whatever Brookings institution, go to anybody and take a look at some of the net effects. That's, that's how I tend to counter those arguments. If you've got a, if you got a, a better fact, if there's such a thing, um, then bring it. But a lot of times people are acting out of ignorance. And so my goal is to try to inform them. Maybe as a follow-up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I would do what Brett Carter would do. I'd try to inform them. Maybe as a follow-up to some of these podcasts, we can actually provide some you know, scholarly articles or books that individuals that are listening can reference if you're in this situation and, and you want the right facts, right? To respond the right way and be confident in responding the right way right. Um, that they can reference. That's right. That's right. And I know we have Heather, Faith, Brett, and Haley yeah. on the call too. Like, if you guys want to chime in on anything that's been said, please feel free. I wasn't sure if I was able to do that or not, but uh, all you. <laughs> I absolutely would like to chime in. You know, I think with um, with the topic that we're talking about right now, I think it's. I, I agree with Lee. You, it's important to understand where the other person is coming from. So saying, you know, something like, well, you know, why is that important to you? Or why do you want to explore from that, that angle? Just to understand what, what they're saying. And then maybe to disintroduce exactly what Lee was saying, which is systemic oppression. You know, racism could go maybe possibly in either direction, but there's a power dynamic to it. You know, there's groups, there's, there's <coughs> underrepresented groups in our society, in our country, that have no power to oppress anyone. Yeah. And then there's a group that does and does. Okay. So that that's that's an important component of this that um, you know definitely factors into the equation when you're talking about racism in general and how it affects and lands on different you know populations of our society. I mean, look, look at the Belarusian um, athlete who is trying to defect to Poland, you know, it, it, and the Japanese uh, uh, police actually, I think, as I forget, if I get the story right, helped her to make sure that they were trying to transport her back home because she didn't want to run, compete in a particular event. And you may not call that racism, but there's certainly an ism in there. And that is, Somebody, as you're saying, in power is trying to control that narrative and control those athletes. And thank goodness this person had enough um, courage, bravery to say, I'm, I can't do that. Now, her husband apparently is in the Ukraine, I think. And so they're trying to reconnect. She says she wants to go home. But the challenge is that somebody's there exacting a price. And the price is probably her livelihood and her future. So I think part of this is let, let's bring out examples that are real that we can talk about as opposed to, as I said, just an emotion or, or a reaction. And uh, just to identify, I think sometimes it's okay to recognize that you're having an emotional response. And depending on your relationship with the person, um, you could say if it's a closer friend or a family member, you know, what I hear when you say that is that you don't care about me and the racism that I'm trying to talk about. Mm -hmm. So even just calling attention to how it's affecting you, 
um, with closer family members, I think it would be easier to do something yeah. like that. Yeah. Friends. I think that's a very effective way, Amy, of not shutting down the conversation, the difficult conversation, but allowing for room for people to um, to at least express where they're coming from. And it's okay if you ultimately don't agree, but at least the difficult doesn't converse, conversation doesn't have to become polar opposition. <laughs> you know, where you're just like, well, I'll never talk to you again. Yeah, you could I say, think, is that is that what you mean? Yeah, you know, this is how it came. This is how it came across to me. Is that what you meant to say? And then, mm -hmm. if they're a friend, they're going to back up and say, "No, that's not what I mean," and maybe be able to explain themselves. And you can turn the conversation. Right. Good point. So our next scenario, um, all work-related scenario. So in deciding who to include on a special team charged with landing a multi-million dollar account, the director says to the VP, I'd like to recommend, she I'd like to recommend Sheila, but this project will require longer hours and travel. And she has all those kids to deal with. I know how important family time is for her. I just can't in good conscience ask her to make that kind of sacrifice. You know, that's, that's one that is real now that COVID while it was subsiding is re-emerging and there's an article in the New York Times that I encourage people to, to look at um, talking about the difficulty now um, of folks who have chosen to work remotely because their company's offering that option, but realize that they're sacrificing visibility, um, access, and so on, and particularly it's falling on women who have either you know, predominantly childcare issues, but often simultaneously elder care issues. So it's not just about, you know, taking care of all of those kids that Sheila has, but she's stuck in the middle of trying to, um, to take on a career and make sure that everything else at home is okay with kids who may have just been for the last year and a half um, at, in, in a homeschooled environment because of COVID. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating again, where again, I'm trying to go to, to the fact to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's take a look at not just Sheila, but anybody, male or female, but anybody, particularly working mothers, who've had this additional level, additional levels of responsibility and care, what what ball do we ask to we ask them to let drop? Family in favor of the job. Why don't we try to involve her in this account? But let's go talk to her first about the schedule. Let's go talk to her first about her childcare challenges, if there if there are any. If there is travel involved, um, maybe it can be scheduled in a way where she can get there. And because we're in this environment, some of that can be done virtually. You know, so I think I think this is it's interesting how people will strike, as I said, a, bolt, a, a bipolar um, opposition. Well, they, if they can't do this, then they can't be on the team. And yet for others, because they're these individuals are in power, yet for others, they create all kinds of flexibilities and latitude. And 
So I think it's that's where that you know this VP in this case getting the response has to say no. You haven't thought this through yet. Come up with a solution that works for you and for sure. Now that would be true inclusion and true equity. And I'll add, it, it seems like on the face of this comment that the 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 VP or the whoever in the scenario uh, st stated the comment was, you know, on the face of it, maybe trying to, to understand the person's situation yeah. and be yeah. empathetic towards it, but still not allowing them access to an opportunity that probably could help, you know, further that person's career if they're successful or who knows, right? But so se seeming like, oh, no, I, I, I can't do it in good conscience. I want to do the right thing. But <laughs> in turn, you're limiting access to opportunities that others on the team may, may have, right? And so you've got to uh, not make assumptions about people. Part of this is just not making assumptions about people. And if you have questions, ask them, have conversations, and then you know, give her the opportunity to say if, if she can do it or not, or if it will work for her or not, or kind of, you know, determine what her own situation is. But that's, I think at the core of it, you can't make assumptions. And, and Brett, inclusion, think, including her in the conversation. That's what I mean. Why don't we go to Sheila and let's talk yes. to Sheila about what's there. Exactly. It's interesting the way this, this is written is ask her to make that kind of sacrifice. I think that's a fascinating term. Because we're not saying we're ask her to um, to have access to that kind of opportunity. All of a sudden, it's a sacrifice. Like again, you have to literally, like biblically, you know, split the baby. I hate to say that when you know when this kind of conversation, but you have to make a hard but yet false choice. And and that, Brett, that and Amy, that that to me is really where a lot of this lies. How wide open can we be and creative? Say, look, if this person has that kind of talent, we need that talent on the team. What role can she play? And still give her a full um, evaluation, not just, you know, an, 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 uh, an asterisk at the bottom of a page. Put her on the team for what she, I'm, I'm doing this with people I collaborate with now. Got childcare issues. Um, summer camp, I'm like, okay, look, we'll flex it. What do you, what do you need? What can you deliver off asynchronously? So when we do come together, it feels good. And you know what? We're succeeding. Cause I've been in that. I had a, a wife who passed away now 20 years ago, God rest his soul. And I was left with two kids, seven and 17. She died from, Carolyn died from lung cancer. And so I've been in that chair where I've had, to, I went to the grocery store at five in the morning. I cooked dinner before I left. I got them to school. I went to work. I came back and did the whole thing over and over again. And I remember somebody at work as well, you seem like you're stressed. Hell, you'd be stressed too if you had to do this on the heels of somebody you've been married to for 19 years, dying at age 47, and you really have your whole life turned upside down. What do you want me to do? And when you, I said this back to the president of the university, who was a psychologist, 
And she got very upset with me because I was like challenging her. I'm like, no, I'm not challenging. I'm just trying to get you to be real because it didn't happen to you. It happened to me. And I'm already feeling like I'm under a microscope. So the pressures on to perform here, keep my kids happy, uh, grab them at night and make sure that their world is okay. So, you know what? I think we've got to be more open to the solutions. I'm sorry, I've gone off on this. And if you want to edit that out, you can. <laughs> it, it seems like, you know, as leaders, sometimes we're so good at being exclusive that we don't even recognize it. That's it, man. That's it. We, and you, we're and trained you advocated for yourself, to, though. It sounds like through that story that you still continue to advocate for yourself, which is, you know, oh, yeah. also super important as part of that process. Don't allow yourself to be silenced and, by and, what people think. Well, well, Heather, but see, this is, the, again, the point. I think you've got to store it up. At some point, I guess I could have just said, well, you know what? You're right. I'm so stressed. I'm not going to play the victim here. No, 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 no. This happened to me unanticipated. I'm dealing with it as best I can. If I need some time to make sure, let's see, my youngest, Jackie, was in second grade. If I need to make sure that she's okay and I got to go back out there to pick her up early, give me a break. I'm not running away from the work. I need to make sure my baby's okay. And it's funny how people get very hardened around, well, this is the kind of sacrifice you have to make because this is a hard job. It ain't that hard. And by the way, that's why I ultimately left. I'm not going to sacrifice my kids for this. It's not that you don't have that kind of money. <laughs> and even if you did, I wouldn't take it. And Dr. Nunnery, just to kind of do a follow-up to that question, do you think <coughs> that gave you some more perspective or an appreciation for the working mothers because it put you in a situation that a lot of them had already, we'll say naturally been in, because that's such a, a, a weird word or way to say it, but but um, just they had naturally been in as a result of, I guess we'll say how society is set up. No, I think, I think that, and, and this is really what we're talking about with all of these questions and this very issue of difficult conversations, is it what tools can we deploy to challenge the norms so that we get to a new and different future? That's really what we're talking about. And so the, the, the traditional role of a working mom, first of all, working, think about that, put that in parentheses. Um, so not that you didn't already have as a mother so many other things to do, childcare and everything else, and making sure everybody else is okay while your own psychological safety may be at risk. But then you add on a career build. And so, yeah, not only did that give me um, um, a deeper appreciation, but years even before that, when both of my parents were hospitalized, I was 13 years old, I'm taking care of my brother and trying to, you know, I've been through that enough to know that when somebody come, came into my door and said, I've got an issue, um, a young man coming out, um, a, a, a woman who's, who's, whose husband was having a lot of deep problems, I'll just put it that way. I'm like, look, I, I, I'm here to help you as a manager and a leader, help you work through that, not just throw you out because 
you don't fit within my construct of of the job description. I, th I think you know if we can be inclusive but also expansive, then we've got an opportunity here. Yeah, absolutely. And just I think as leaders and organizations, as coworkers and other organizations, we can look to other leaders and explain, you know, are we are we looking at this person as another person just like you? You know, when you see people as people and people all have issues, then if you see them for who they are, you have that empathy and you can help them work through their situations. And so I think like a way to turn narratives is to just help other people see that. Yeah. If they're not looking at it that way, if they're putting people in a box, helping them see outside. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line of the organization is not going to suffer if Sheila has to flex her time. It's, it's, I mean, unless it's a two-person operation, it's not going to suffer. So I think the key, and even if it does, would you rather have Sheila as a whole person working with you or make more money? Now, I know some people would be, you know, give me door, door number two. But I think as, as we're looking at this, this is more about making sure people come out whole and that they feel that they can consistently contribute. Because you know what? That goodwill, that comes back to you in, in volumes if you do it properly. I hope some of this is incorporated in the leadership training that our organizations provide our leaders to be empathetic, uh, to think about things, to engage what, HR. Yeah, what, what do you, what do, you, do you think it is? Do you I think don't think it is appropriately today, yeah. but I think I've been lucky enough to have leaders that have led by design in that way, which is right. what motivates me to be a part of their team. But I know a lot of other individuals in the industry that don't, don't have that same, um, don't have that same flexibility and haven't had that same opportunity. Yeah. And pay all, not and I think also <clears throat> it's because if we go back to the Sheila example, I think a lot of those managers and leaders believe that the manager that said we don't want her to sacrifice is them being empathetic. How do we how do we get in between that and really get to Amy's point about teaching them how to be inclusive or seeing everyone as a person? Well, I think we're really kind of talking about that, right? Is let, first of all, this project, you know, multi-million dollar account, a special team. Okay, let's break down the work. I mean, they they didn't just bid on this. This is something that you know they think is is going to happen. So let's take the chunks of work. What can Sheila handle within the time frames or the hours? If Sheila was based somewhere in Western Europe on a, in a time zone difference, they'd work it out. So what's more difficult about that than, you know, finding out what she can contribute. Maybe she can pick up on those hours from, you know, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. when everybody else is going, I don't know. I, I think the key is to, to start reimagining the, the future of the work based on now different constraints. And but I think COVID, not that I want it to happen for sure, has highlighted that we can be incredibly creative. How many of you have, have lost a beat? 
probably nobody. I'm busier than I've ever been to the point where I'm trying to dial it down, trying to be like Brett and just chill out every once in a while. I know, pick it on you. <laughs> but seriously, I think you're right, Faith, that leaders often are, they take a shortcut. They hear certain things, they're like, well, okay, well, then this is what we gotta do. Or, or here's what's worse. I guess Sheila can't do it. And I think that that is, that's when inclusion flips on its head because they didn't really get her involved in the conversation at all. I know now, we're about 40 minutes in and we probably yes. have another 15 scenarios that the listeners <laughs> could relate to. So I'm gonna try and move on to the next scenario. So, and, and this happens all the time. I think it happens to me once a week, but frequently mixing up the names of two fill in the blank, but Mexican American women in the same department or on the same floor. Yeah. You know, or again, this goes back to the, the other scenario, you know, who, who are you, where are you from? You know, if, if it, do you know how many times I've been called somebody else? Just a week ago, somebody tried to give me $20 that they thought I had left at, um, at a counter. And I just started laughing. I'm like, you really think this is my 20? Well, yeah, you left it. I'm like, I just kept drawing her in. And all of a sudden she realized, oh, that's not you. Now, we don't all look alike, my friend, which says that you, in a casual encounter, okay, but it says that you're also not studying people well enough to know what the differences are. I, so I, I think on those kind of issues, very superficial ones, call them out right away. Just say, no, that's not, those aren't the same people. Um, and in fact, just because there are two Mexican-American women in this example, doesn't mean, I mean, you know how large Mexico is and how many different um, uh, different um, uh, strata there are. I just tell people to be careful. Can I dig in a little bit deeper on that? Just like, because I'm pretty good at correcting people when it's, they call me someone that I'm not or call someone else someone that they're not. But um, this once happened to me in a client setting where, yeah. uh, you know, the leader of the client team on the Marsh side, you know, mentions that, um, I look very much alike to this other Indian woman that used to work on our floor. And that's why he mixes us up and he was justifying his position. And then he was <laughs> trying to justify the position to the client. And he was saying they're the same height. Their skin tone is the same. They have the same color hair. It's the same length. And the client agreed at the table, right? So you're in an awkward situation where the entire, your entire value proposition on the broker side is to bring clients in and bring revenue in, right? So I feel like there's a different tone I can take with someone that's working with me versus someone that's working with me that's in a client setting and a client. And I know that the, you know, you could go to HR, you can do all that stuff. I didn't do any of that. And I'm obviously not saying the name of the individuals on this, on this <laughs> podcast, but um, just want to know, like, if you were in my shoes and at that table, like, what would you have said? Um, I, I've been in that, in um that situation, I'm just trying to think of how I would respond. Um, in fact, I'd like to enlist all of you to see what you think. I think at some point, that's when you have to do the pull aside to say, look, here's what 
I am not that person. I'm from here. We may look alike. We may even sound alike. But you need to understand who I am. I, this gets into definition of self and and self efficacy, self advocacy, as much as anything else. I mean, I'm sure each one of you. Have been I think I think I would add because I agree with that. Um, and you know, it's difficult when you're in front of a client, right? To you know, have conversations of of this nature. But we're talking about difficult conversations. I definitely think that pulling. Um, that person aside, you know, after the meeting or, or something to let them know how they undercut your value in front yes. of the client yeah, and, and how crazy. that made you feel mm -hmm. and how that could further affect your, your ability to work with that client mm -hmm. you know, or that client to trust you. All these things come into play. And that may not have been that person's intent. At least that might be what they say, but you know, they definitely need to know that that was um, a stop sign that they cannot keep running through, right? They, they, they have to check that. Um, and so I, I would definitely do that in that situation. And I've been in that situation. I've been in that situation. I've been called different names by people who've known me for years. Right. Uh, which, which, you know, but to Lee's point, I mean, I think don't let the moment pass because then yeah. they might assume that it just wasn't that big of a deal to you anyway. You know, um, you know, a lot of these things, I think a common theme and a lot of these things we're talking about um, is courage, you know, have the courage to, to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself and, and don't let anyone take your value away from you. You know, the problem I, I had in that moment that I probably still have today and need to work on <laughs> is that, you think of like good and bad people and mm -hmm. things that are appropriate and not appropriate. And you're like, well, that person is a good person and they mean well, so they just didn't mean that. Or, you know, you're less inclined to call someone out on their BS unless you also think that that person is a bad person. And if they're I, a good person, they know. they'll yeah. want you to call them out. Right. Mm -hmm. right. They'll want you. And if they care about you, they'll want you to uh, mm -hmm. let them know how they made you feel. And how you know to uh, behave differently going forward. Sure. If they're a good person, and if they're not, they'll let you know that too. Amen. I think that's so that's so important. You know. So, all right. Next question. Next question. Um, so, coworkers are talking about how it is challenging to work with colleagues who have accents because it's hard to understand them over the phone. Yeah, I mean, look, this this is a hard one because you get somebody who calls frequently here to my home office and I'm listening and you know your name isn't really George or your name isn't really John. Um, what I've done personally is say, look, I didn't I didn't quite get that. Just can you repeat it for me? And then I repeat, you know, so but that's because I'm I guess I'm trying to be more um understanding. I want to deepen my uh, investment in the relationship. Um, I, I think it's hard because it, the, the, the springboard from a comment like this is, well, they should just learn how to speak English and then everything will be okay. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not the issue. The issue is our ears are attuned to anything we hear 
over and over and over again. So I guess it may be challenging, but I, I mean, quite frankly, I'd say, well, then you need to learn. I, I don't know how else to respond to that. You know, I think that people forget that the person on the other end of that conversation is having a similar issue with you. There we go. Right. So like you are having this issue understanding them, but they may also have that very same issue understanding you for the exact same reason. So it's always very important in those instances to extend a little bit of grace. And even if it's simply saying, hey, you know what, I'm so sorry, I really can't, I can't make out what you're saying. Are you able to slow down? Is it a way for us to send this in a written correspondence so maybe I can pick it up a little bit better? Mm-hmm. Just because you're because we're all both suffering from the same sort of disconnect as it relates to, to language. And to your point, Lee, um, our, our ears are in tune to hear and understand the way that we're used to hearing and understanding. That's the same for them on the other side of that phone. So, you know, try to be try to extend a little bit of grace in these particular situations. Faith, I think that's a huge point. And, and that also demonstrates uh, a genuine desire to communicate, a yes. genuine desire to communicate with right. someone, you know? And so if you genuinely desire to communicate with someone or something, I, my dog sitting right over here communicates with me all the time. He does not speak a word of English, but we communicate and I don't speak dog very well. I try, but uh, we communicate all the time because we genuinely want to communicate with one another. And we've gotten very good at it. So, you know, I think it's, it's extending that grace, like you said, Faith, I think that's very important. And again, you know, it uncovers the ugly truth that not everybody wants to extend that grace. Not everybody truly, genuinely desires to communicate with right. others right. that aren't like them. And that's the problem. Right. And, and if you're circling back to that question and realizing that maybe you're dealing with a comment from a colleague who sounds like maybe they aren't invested and want to make that, um, I think that that's where you have courage to advocate for your fellow employee and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. talk about how they're a great addition to the team and what they bring to the table and stand up for them in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And this the only thing I would say folks is that I hope, you know, I'm just kind of playing this out in my mind. I, you know, I watched the, the office. I don't know how many times I've seen the, the, each, uh, each episode, but you don't do a Michael Scott and just say, well, if I can't understand you, that means we need to have an X, Y, Z dinner and eat that food. You know what I mean? That kind of superficial reaction to, to something like that. Um, and, or, you know, ca- uh, castigate that person again, because they, they, they drop their G's or they can't roll their R's. Listen, I'm from New Jersey. I would head south and they were like, what kind of leg? Well, when I moved to Chicago, where are you from? Because I would say water and they were like, well, it's not water, it's water. You know, just, I, th- I think we have to, we have to, humor can do some good. But, but when it's in a work situation, this means we've got to really put people more to the test of saying, no, you, you've, got to, you've got to, as you said, try to strive to understand. Yeah. I know we only have about 10 minutes left, so I just want to end on, on one more scenario and then we can yeah. wrap up as and a group. But, yeah. Beautiful. Um, so this is going to be, and I, I think a lot of us have been feeling this, especially with recent events since George Floyd. So um, during a team discussion about how to recruit more diverse candidates, 
the manager asked the only black employee what they should do. Uh, the dreaded tokenism, you know, um, the, the sense that, and a, lot, a number of companies did exactly that. The CEO reached out, this is especially last year, not so much right now, but last year, I was getting phone calls from folks and like, what do I do? The CEOs, all of a sudden, I'm everybody on everybody's short list for a conversation. Um, what I've told individuals they might consider, not that they had to do, was own the issue, um, own the moment, but also say, we need, you need a more expansive view. It's not just about what I think and don't believe that I represent every black person on the planet. Now, listen, you know, you know the secret unveiled here, right? Even black folks do it by thinking that one person is going to come and solve all the issues, that kind of looking for that mythological leader who will, you know, be like Moses. We've got to stop doing that, too, of thinking that one person in a senior role is going to be able to pull everybody up. It goes both ways. So I think, yeah, there's you want to recruit more diverse candidates. I'm glad we're having this conversation. But here's the thing. I don't have all the answers, nor do I have all the contacts. So let's do it programmatically, strategically. That's what one, at least one way of approaching it. I'd love to hear what others have to say. Listen, I agree with that um, 100 percent. I've had so many conversations uh, <laughs> like that or with just people who've also had conversations like that just because of everything that's going on. But, you know, seeing it as an opportunity, you know, now, mm -hmm. look, at, at least they came to you and somehow it, it yeah. resonated as something that's important. So take that as an opportunity to teach and educate um, and, and help them think strategically, like, like Lee said help them think strategically and approach it strategically and find deeper understanding. You know, if, if the goal is to attract and then hopefully develop and retain more diverse mm -hmm. talent, mm -hmm. you know, why is that to go? What, what's, what's driving that? What, right. what are the, right. what's the intended outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, and how, how does that fit into our overall leadership uh, and business strategy, you know, help, help connect the dots because, you know, essentially, they think that maybe how you look and, and your identification with their group is the way that they can do that. But you have to flip that back on them and, and, and have them do the hard work themselves. But you can help them. And if they're inviting you to have a seat at that table, take it. And then when you walk through that door, kick that door wide open for everybody else. I, I think this is also where Brett being deeply informed and invested in the issues important is, you know, you might be the only working mother. You might be the only one who, um, you know, is out. You may be the only one who has a, a physical uh, challenge or, um, or, or ability um, issue. And this tokenism thing is so powerful, both in a negative and a positive way because they, somebody wants to engage in a conversation, well, at least I know I could talk to you. So what do you think about this issue? 
And I've always phrased it, in my opinion, my opinion only, this is what I think. But if you really want to know more, you know, again, there are some other sources and other people you need to be exposed to. See, the other thing is this. For many of us, all of us on the screen, I am sure, we've we've been in many circumstances where we've been the only ones. And we are not only expected to carry that torch, but hold up the building at the same time. And it gets heavy. How stressed out have you been over the last year at times? You know, where you're just like, okay, okay, I can't take anymore. So that's the other thing with this manager asking that only employee, you know, not, hey, are you happy here? But rather, what, what do we do now, boss? That's the Uncle Remus uh, scenario where just point me in the right direction and I'll go. You don't get anything out of it. But the company does. So I, I, I think individuals have to step up and, and own that, but also turn it back on that manager. Yeah. So if we had like a few takeaways for our listeners today, what I'm hearing from you is having the courage to speak up, knowing the facts, acknowledging the emotional response, letting individuals know how their thoughts or how their actions or words made you feel. Um, what are some of the other takeaways for our listeners today? I, I think I think you have to exhibit, uh, Faith called it, what, what a great name, right? Faith calls out grace um, appropriately. Um, I think you do have to give people grace because there's a lot of ignorance out there. Um, but that doesn't mean that you keep turning the other cheek. That means you give them grace and space, but you have to say, now, look, what you just did or said was offensive to me. I mean, you may not understand why, but let me walk you through that. So, and then the only other thing I would say, Payal, is that they, you've, we've got to, all of us, study more, read more, invest more time in the issues. I'm reading more about the LGBTQ plus community because when I was a kid, as a Catholic school kid, that was like, oh, don't do that. That's wrong. That's what we were told. That was embedded in us. And so 50 some odd years later, later trying to unlearn that, but also having people, uh, people in my family and others and folks I've worked with, people I've promoted, people I've worked for. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What was my best boss was a lesbian. That first boss was a lesbian. And I was like, when I thought about that years later, I'm like, wow, Liz was something else. She was great. So I think part of what we're dealing with is making sure that we stay focused on what's important here. We're at the, there's, a, there's a moment here to win or to lose. I'm more concerned that people are throwing DEI around and hoping that that clouds the issue so they can move on. I'm not ready to move on yet, not by a long shot. Well said. I mean, before we close out, Amy, Heather, Faith, Brett, anything to add? I think we summed it up pretty well. I mean, I just, uh, you gotta you gotta have that courage. You know, you gotta realize, have grace. You gotta realize that everybody has shortcomings and vulnerabilities, including ourselves. But that does not mean that you have to let people continuously run through your stop signs yeah. Without yeah. letting them know how you feel about that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you can uh, you can be confident in that. And um, but we're, we're always learning, all of us. We're always mm-hmm. learning. When you're not learning, you're not growing. So got to keep learning. Circling it back all the way to the beginning, the more that we're all willing to learn and have the conversations, the less difficult they'll become. Well said. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nunnery, for your all oh, your yes. time. I know this is the second time we've tried this. This was way more successful than the first. So <laughs> really appreciate all the time and effort and just your patience and digging in here. And to my colleagues that are part of the DNI committee today, Brett, Faith, Heather, Amy, thanks for the time and all of your wise words on today's uh, podcast. And of course, we will we'll be posting this shortly. And then if any of the listeners have any follow-up questions, happy to take them as part of the DNI committee. You can post them in, on the RISE website. Well, I'm, I'm proud of each of you. I, I, and I'm glad to, to call you friends and associates. I really am. I just think you all are on the verge of something great. Keep doing it. Just keep going. Thank you.